This is Andrea Kolsky, and you're listening to Lone, you're listening to Justice is Blonde on Lone Star Community Radio. And today we're joined with super lawyer, extra fabulous, criminal defense attorney, primarily federal picker of prosecutors, asses, Nathan Mays. We're super happy to have you here today. Oh, it's great to be here, Andrea. Good to see you. And so today on Justice is Blonde, we're going to talk about some of the things that are going on coming up here recently. We have the Super Bowl coming up. So with the Super Bowl coming up, you know, first of all, who do you like? Well, I think all the smart money is on the Patriots this week. Uh, you know, Tom Brady's basically said that he, he's got this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to play in front of his extended family in Minneapolis and uh, he can't wait to put on a show for them. So, and that's that's why you've seen the betting line drop from where it opened at six and a half down to uh, what, what did we say it was? I four? think it's at four and a half. Four yeah, and it, may half be, it may be it may four by now. And I think that you know there is a lot of um, you know Patriots fear because they always do seem to pull it off. Um, fourth quarter, obviously, the Falcons game last year was was a nail biter right. and ended the way that much of the country expected with another Patriots victory. But how that relates to the law is, you know, as a defense attorney and in federal court, you know, what kind of things happen with Super Bowl betting and things like that coming up? Well, you know, a lot of people um, like to place wager on sporting events, place wagers on sporting events. People will bet on basketball games, football games. They got a bookie, they got a guy. Or they go online and they do it. And, um, you know, in recent years in the U.S. and federal court, there have been a number of prosecutions about, against major online sports betting books that are located outside of the United States in Panama or in Costa Rica. And um, the bettors, the people who actually place the bets, you know, just your average everyday guy or gal, they don't get prosecuted. But the bookies in the House gets prosecuted in federal court for operating an illegal gambling business and a lot of times they'll be indicted for racketeering conspiracy, for for online gaming, and then also for money laundering because all those bettors have to get paid or have to pay the house. So let's talk about that dynamic. So first of all, you say that these online betting houses, if you want to bet the Super Bowl and you're outside of Las Vegas or a place where you're legally allowed to bet, um, you know, and you want, let's say you want to place a bet in Texas. Can you, can you bet anywhere legally on, on the Super Bowl? Can you pull up to a OTB place and place a bet? Well, no. Okay. You can, no, you can bet one of your buddies. You can bet one of your friends. You can bet your bartender. You know, a bet that's a private bet between two individuals um, that there's not a uh, juice or a vig to the bet um, where it's just, hey, I'm, I'm going to take the Patriots plus um, or I'm going to take the, say you're going to take the Eagles plus the points. Um, or you're going to take the over-under and you make a bet just with a buddy, that's fine. Nobody's going to prosecute you for that. You're not right. going to get in trouble for it. What's a problem is when a bookie sets up and they have, say, you know, 100 different guys that are betting with them, and then that bookie, of course, isn't going to cover all that action on their own, so they're going to lay some of that action off with a bigger book, like a bigger sports book out of the country. Usually they're located in Central America right now, the, the ones that have, Bookies on the ground here in the U.S. are located in Central America. So if you're betting with a bookie, like if you is just a normal every Right, you got a guy night, and you know somebody that has yeah, a guy. And, and you got a guy, say you bet with him all season long. Right. And you just need to know that at some point that bookie might get investigated 
and, right. and, and might get prosecuted because they might be part of a much larger enterprise or syndicate of uh, online sports betting um, that might get investigated for illegal gambling or um, money laundering. So have if you are someone that is looking to make a wager for the Super Bowl and you go to, let's say, the spread or a, what would be a, a warehouse where people would make bets online where you could find a... Oh, well, I mean, like Bodog.com. Okay. Uh, it was a big book online. Five Dimes is a big book online. So is that something that, in your opinion, has a, a location outside the United States that would be their main headquarters? Yeah, those those places are headquartered outside of the United States. And and several of them, um, you know, and I don't know who, who the main ones are right now that are active within the U.S., some of them will get investigated and they'll cut a deal with, uh, with the Department of Justice where they say, okay, we won't accept any more bets from within the United States and we'll engage in IP blocking and things like that um, to, uh, to make sure that no bettors from the United States are accessing us. Um, but if you're betting online from anywhere in the United States, it's going to be an illegal bet unless you're in Vegas, in the casino, there's like a special little carve-out Right, exception. there's special exceptions where it's like if you're here, it's legal. So, for example, if you win a bet that you place online mm-hmm. and, and you live in Texas when you make that bet and you go to cash in on that bet, uh, is it your experience that people have difficulty getting paid or, or do they get paid just the same? Let's just say it's one of these bigger houses. Well, it just depends on, um, it just depends on what book you're, you're making your bet with. Usually they don't have any problem getting paid. So the, the, unlike Bitcoin, which is depending on the time of the market, you may have <laughs> bigger issues getting your money out. Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> uh, no, you know, all the, all the big sports betting um, websites, I mean, they have an interest in collecting when the player loses, and they have an interest in paying when the player wins because it'll encourage that player to come back and play some more. So let's talk about like as a as a – Defense attorney that primarily practices in federal court, you know, that's the big show for for defense attorneys. Um, What would be the biggest kind of case? So you're saying racketeering. What kind of punishment are people looking at who are involved in this scope of of business? Well, for like a major online sports book, if they get indicted for a racketeering conspiracy, it's called a RICO conspiracy, the punishment range is anywhere from zero up to 20 years in federal prison for a racketeering conspiracy. Um, And when you see an entity get indicted under the RICO Act in that kind of a conspiracy, it's going to be a big indictment with a lot of defendants. Uh, The last one of these cases I handled had 54 different individuals or corporate entities. I I want to say there were 32 people and um, 22 corporate entities that were indicted in the case. So that brings up a couple of really interesting questions. So first of all, how do you indict a company with a criminal offense? Well, uh, a corporate entity can be indicted under the RICO Act, and there are several other federal criminal offenses that can be brought against corporate entities, uh, like think about uh, air pollution, uh, things like that, where ExxonMobil or whatever petrochemical company releases things into the atmosphere uh, that violate certain federal laws, the corporation itself can be charged for that type of release. They charge a, uh, a corporate entity in the betting world, in the sports betting world, for facilitating the, the betting. So like, for instance, in the case that I was involved in, they indicted um, the real estate company that held the real estate 
in Panama. They indicted the um, website services company. The uh, call center had its own corporate entity that operated the call center. Um, they had multiple different corporations that were involved in processing the payments from betters uh, through um, online banking transactions. All of those corporate entities were charged. And the reason that the federal government does that is because it's easier for them to extract a large monetary penalty from a corporation if that corporation is solvent and has assets that are within the reach of the U.S. government than it is to try and squeeze it out of, you know, some low-level bookie who's on the ground, you know, somewhere in Missouri or Florida or Georgia. So with the companies, they want to seize all their assets and property, and, and certainly the officers that are involved are going to be charged individually in addition to the company. Exactly. Um, what about the betters, though? Are the, were the, any of the folks that were charged in that 54-defendant situation, were any of those people that made the bets? No. Okay. Not, not one single um, sports better was charged in that case, and, and I don't know of any federal case where a sports better has been charged strictly in their capacity as a player. Who's, uh, who's placing bets. Um, now, a lot of times they'll be called to testify as witnesses. Um, we had a couple guys that, that testified during the multiple trials that, that we were involved in um, who were big, um, big gamblers. Gamblers. And who would bet. Like they needed to call 1 800 gambler. Yeah, I mean, these guys, these are guys who were, you know, easily putting in a couple hundred thousand dollars in action uh, in any given weekend. And in fact, one of them, um, who owns a uh, whole chain of uh, Tex-Mex restaurants here locally. Um, he was creating multiple betting identities because the house was like, hey, we can't let you bet more than, you know, 50 grand a weekend. And so he's like, okay, well, I'll just make a new Right, I'll, have, and- I'll call myself something else. Exactly. It, it'll but, be um, Billy Fajita. Yeah, and so that— <laughs> Or Johnny Taco. <laughs> that, that guy got called as a witness and testified, but he did not get— prosecuted. They didn't go after any of his winnings. They didn't, you know, or the money, you know, that he lost. They, they just literally just brought him in and had him say, yeah, you know, I used to place a lot of bets with these guys. Now, um, besides the possible jail, taking all your money ramifications, if you run one of these, um, as far as gambling illegally, is there another way that you see that kind of, um, poker room mentality, that's not necessarily, that's when you have a group of folks betting. Is that the same kind of idea or is that more privately run or is? Well, so right now, um, and I don't know if you guys have one here in Conroe or if there's one anywhere in Montgomery County, but you know, on on the going away from federal criminal charges right now in Houston, I want to say there's probably five or six different poker rooms that have opened up. And um, these, these poker rooms are set up where they view it as a private club, even though it'll be in a um, rented retail space where they'll go lease retail space in a strip mall um, or in a standalone building, they'll say, well, we're a private club. People have to pay a membership to come inside. Once they're inside, they have to pay a rental fee to rent a seat at one of the tables to play poker, right? And so they've, they've, created what they think is a loophole to get around the gambling laws that are enforced by the state of Texas, where you can have a poker room um, that's operating within the law because they aren't taking uh, what what's referred to in the business as a rake. 
uh, I don't know if you play poker at all, Andrea, but you know, if you go play poker in Lake Charles, you go play poker in Vegas, the way the house makes their money on the game is they take a rake out of the pot, right? Every pot, the, the house gets a cut. In in these rooms that are set up down in Houston, there's one in a couple in Austin. There's yeah, there's one I was walking down um, 4th Street when I was in Austin for a, a CLE and I there was a glass window and people were visibly playing poker and I was just shocked because I, I was, uh, my first intuition was that, well, they're not playing for real money. Um, oh, they were but, playing for real money. But there was chips and stacks and the stacks had colors and I, I was very interested to find out what was going on there. They're, um, they're playing for money. And what, what they've done is, you know, Texas law prohibits a business from profiting off of uh, gambling, right? So in other words, you can't, you can't take a rake from the pot. You can't, um, you can't operate, um, you know, like blackjack tables or things like that if the house is keeping what the house wins. But because poker is a game between the players who are playing in the game and the house doesn't have a player in the game, they just have a dealer at these poker rooms. And because they aren't taking a cut from right, they're just taking what won. they call the service rental fee of the seats. Yeah, the that's seat kind of their their way to to get around that issue or yeah. be the equivalent to what the rake would be in another legal casino, for example. Exactly. Um, but it, we do need to take a break, Nathan. Um, Dick Schistler, our our producer, is giving us the we need to take a break to hear from our sponsors. Look, right. nod, wave, and so we're going to take a break <laughs> to hear from our sponsors. You're listening to Justice is Blonde on Lone Star Community Radio. Don't forget to download the Lone Star Community Radio app for your Google Play or Apple Store. Bring Montgomery County's community radio with you anywhere with your smartphone or tablet. If you are in the Conroe area, tune in on FM. That is Conroe's FM 104.5-106.1. This is Andrea Kolsky, and you're listening to Justice is Blonde on Lone Star Community Radio. And if you're just joining us, we're joined by a very special guest, super qualified, amazing, talented Nathan Mays, primarily practicing in the federal forum. We're really happy to have you, Nathan. Thanks, Andrea. It's great to be here. Thank you for trekking all the way down from Houston to join us on this sunny day for oh, Justice Beautiful Blonde. And we aren't even going to hold it against you that you're not a blonde. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Through so, no fault of my own. No fault of your own. Um, so before the break, we were talking a little bit about Super Bowl betting and, you know, not really legal, but in your experience, if they're going to do it online, um, two things they may want to do is bet the Patriots because they can't seem to lose. Um, and second, right. you know, you're probably not going to get prosecuted. So, um, but better, maybe better friend or your neighbor or. Um, right. Yeah. This is not legal advice that it's right. okay to bet online. It is, it is illegal to bet online. However, right. you may not be charged, but you will probably be the char charge the value of your bet if you bet against the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, we can't, it, if you lose, you lose. If, if you right. lose. Um, second. And if you bet on the Eagles. Um, you better hope they have about a 21-point lead, preferably 24-point lead. Before the fourth quarter, for yeah, sure. at the beginning yeah. of the fourth quarter. <laughs> and, I mean, your only real hope is that time expires right, before or, Tom Brady comes back. Exactly. Something along the lines where Tom Brady is not allowed to play. <laughs> you know, right. something Gronkowski, along. <laughs> Gronkowski gets knocked out, you know. His concussion comes back to get him. You know, but I, I can't imagine that the, the uh, Patriots are going to run him across the middle very much. And, uh, you know, I don't think Philadelphia really has anybody good enough to 
cover him. So I think so, he's going to have a field day. So speaking of Tom Brady, legend, legendary player. Right. Um, the GOAT. The greatest of all time. The, Tom Brady, recently, this week, he was he was on a, a radio show that I, he, you know, wasn't Justice as one. We weren't lucky enough to have him, um, but we're lucky enough to have you. So we're e- equally happy with who wow. we get on our radio shows. Um, but he was on his radio show. It was W-E-E-I or radio. And mm. it was a, a channel that he appeared on pretty regularly. You know, I don't know that he was compensated or he got any money to be on it. But uh, like a Boston it's a Boston radio. local radio right. show. And the host of the show, his name's Alex Reimer or Reimer. I don't know how to pronounce, you know, in Boston, his, you say. His name's Alex Fired. No. <laughs> Alex, I don't have a job anymore um, or I'm permanently suspended. But he made a comment in this interview with Tom Brady where he referred to his five-year-old daughter, who I'm sure Tom Brady thinks is an angel, as a annoying little pissant. And so um, Tom Brady got up and, and walked out of the show. And, um, you know, my understanding is that uh, this host has been suspended. So, you know, what what do you think about this? I mean, certainly there's a there's a big, well, people should say what they want and we have the First Amendment and and, you know, you and I were talking before um, before the break about, okay, you can say offensive things, but but what? Well, but people may be offended, right? Right, I mean, right. You have the right to freedom of speech, but people have feelings about what you say, and and people may be offended, and, and it may affect your ability to earn a livelihood going forward if you're a radio host and you insult somebody's kid. I mean— as a parent. Who's one of the most loved people in, in yeah, the East Coast, I mean, and especially in Boston. Yeah, in the city of Boston, that right. guy literally is neck and neck with Jesus. Right. In terms of who's more popular. <laughs> right, exactly. You know? I mean, it's the Pope and Tom Brady. Right, they're they're neck and neck. And, um, you know, to say something like that, I mean, listen, every, you're a parent, I'm a parent. Everybody, we, and we all have girls, yeah, you, me, and Tom Brady. Yeah, and everybody <laughs> who has a five-year-old knows that sometimes five-year-olds can be obnoxious. Right. right? And, um, and that's just a fact. But just to take a shot at somebody else's child, I mean, it's one thing for you to say it about right. your kid you, or me to say it about my kid. Right. But to say it about someone else's child, especially in a public format like that, um, where millions of people are probably tuned in to hear Tom Brady talk. Right. Getting fired up about the Super Bowl. It's around the corner. Yeah, you got to I mean, hear... All about his strategy. What's he going to eat for breakfast? You right, know, his, right. His, how do you be Tom Brady? What's it like? Right. You know, I mean, it, you may have the right to say it, but that doesn't mean other people have to put up with it and and can't be offended by it. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to say, "Oh, Tom Brady, he's he's being a snowflake," you know, because right. feelings are so easily hurt by somebody cursing about his five-year-old daughter. Right. And, you know, I mean, if, if somebody about my five-year-old daughter when she was five, I, I would be pretty upset about that. Or at that. any age, you know, yeah, at any age, right. if you, if you, there's certain words that are, you know, there's boundaries you don't cross with, with people. And I think right. most of it involves, you know, I, I definitely think a boundary with just about every person is, is their children. And then Tom Brady said, you know what? It's not my daughter. I don't think anybody wants their child disparaged like that. Yeah, exactly. But I want to touch on something that you mentioned, and I hadn't heard this term before, but what, what is a snowflake? What does that mean? Well, you know, that's a term that's kind of come up in um, popular culture over the last year and a half, two years, um, really since um, 
Donald Trump ran for president in, um, I think people use it as this derogatory uh, way of saying somebody's overly sensitive about things that are said or um, somebody's too easily um, offended or um, is too too in touch with their feelings and, you know, they, they feel like they're being hurt by someone's words. And so it may be somebody that's super politically correct or super, um, you know, literal about, you know, it's almost to the point where you can't joke with somebody about certain topics or somebody that would be hypersensitive about, you know, certain aspects of, of either their life or careers or, you know, day-to-day operations and, and well, or they might get, you know, I think it's a lot of people on the um, on the right wing side of things have a tendency to use that term, and they suggest that uh, anybody who's a Democrat or a liberal is a snowflake because they're offended by certain words that the president, you know, has used or been accused of using about uh, other countries that immigrants come from and things like that. But you know, I was kind of joking when I said I don't think anybody's going to call Tom Brady a snowflake, right? Because he's offended that his, right because his he's offended about that, you know, being insulted. In uh, you know, I, I do think. People have a right to be offended, just like people have a right to speak freely what they believe um, and what's on their mind. That we do have freedom of speech, and people are supposed to be able to say what they want and what they believe. Uh, but people should always bear in mind that others may be offended by the words that you choose to use. So, you know, for example, in in our criminal business you can actually scream profanity and it is not a crime. You know, there's certain maybe exceptions where um, speech could be a crime if you threaten somebody, obviously, or if you incite a riot is is kind of the, right. yeah, the, the way to get there. Um, but, you know, you can be in a bowling alley and you can scream the F word, you yeah. know, and, and you're perfectly within your right to do so, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it depends a little bit on the environment that you're in, whether or not, um, you know, I don't think in an elementary school you could scream a bunch of curse words and right. without being ticketed for it. Um, but, yeah, most, I mean, listen, anytime you go to a sporting event, you know, if you, if you go to the Texans game or Rockets game or the Astros during the playoffs, I mean, you're going to hear people cursing in the stands. Well, and certainly— be, if, if you get a bad call for the home team, you're right. going to hear a bunch of people screaming curse words at the ref. and nobody's going to get cited for uh, offensive language or abusive Disorderly language. conduct. Yeah. Something along those lines. Because it's expected in that environment. So interestingly enough that, that you say that, one time I represented a young lady who was um, going through the metal detectors at the criminal courthouse. This is back before the criminal courthouse flooded the second time. Um, and... She was using a bunch of profanity at the uh, security individuals. Um, I think at the time, the security company that ran it was Wackenhut. So she mm-hmm. was using a bunch of profanity. And, the blue and, coats. And, um, you know, getting very escalated and heated um, on her way back to her criminal appearance, where obviously she had a legal reason to be there as well. Right. Um, and She wasn't just there to, to watch. She wasn't there as a spectator. And she took great umbrage at the fact that they um, wanted to look into her purse or what have you. She didn't feel like they had any right. And she got very agitated and, and um, emotional and, and you started using a lot of profanity. So she found herself being um, charged with this disorderly conduct based on her language, um, based on the things that she said in a loud way in this 
in this public environment. And and ultimately that case was was dismissed because I think they, you know, in the atmosphere of the criminal justice center, if you get fired up and start screaming profanity, um, that's not going to incite a riot or um, well, and, really be that disorderly. Yeah. And, and it's hard to imagine anyone in that courthouse genuinely being so offended by curse words uh, that, that, it warrants a criminal case being brought against somebody. Given, well, given the amount of cursing that goes on, both by prosecutors and defendants and defense attorneys and police officers, you know, that's just part and parcel that's of being a criminal That's part and parcel court. of the, the um, environment that you're going to. For sure. Um, now, we've talked a little bit about the betting aspects coming up for, for the big game this Sunday. Right. Okay. Um, obviously, if you're going to have a party at your house, um, if there's any people that are there underage, what kind of liabilities do you have? Like, let's say you're you're you've got some teenagers there and you don't want them to drive, and then you know they they drink alcohol. First of all, are you allowed to serve alcohol to your own kids under 21? If if it's your own child, you as the parent can allow your child to consume alcohol if it's at home. So basically, um, just so folks know. You know, just because the drinking age is 21, you can actually permit or um, yeah, 20, have a beer with your with your son or daughter. Yeah, 21 is the age for um, purchasing alcohol or selling alcohol. You can't sell alcohol to someone who's under 21. They can't buy alcohol if they're under 21. And, and they can't be in possession of it. You know, you, you have like minor in possession. Right. That can be charged against a kid if they're caught out with beer or whatever, you know. Um, caught out in public. Tequila, yeah. whatever, whatever. Probably champagne, fireball, champagne, champagne, champagne shooters, fireball. Uh, but um, you know, I've I've wine at my house. You know, but they can't come in and say that my kids are in possession of that wine, and and charge my kids with minor in possession because dad has a wine cellar full of wine. Well, they would know that your kids could not afford the kind of wine that you have at your house. Let's, right. If you want to be realistic, no, that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> your kids' entire first year of college tuition is is in your wine cellar. Maybe. <laughs> um, but as far as other friends, like friends of your kids, so let's say you've got, you know, yeah, your mean, buddy I'm, Daniel, who's friends with, with your son, who's 18, and he's at your house too. Do you, as a non-guardian, can you give him beer as well? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. So, and, I, and if a client asked me, I would say. Legally, you can't don't do it. it. There's, no, do there's it. nothing in the law which, which gives you the, um, your friend plus a buddy. Exception. Right. Yeah, it's not a plus one. <laughs> <laughs> so we do need to take a break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, though, we're going to kind of switch gears and talk a little bit about this recent tragic shooting that happened. Obviously, anytime somebody gets shot um, and dies unexpectedly, it's a tragedy, but even more tragic when it's a victim of a of a crime. And so when we get back, right. we'll talk. Re- you know, we'll talk about. Um, this recent tragic shooting in the Conroe and Houston area, it included both counties and, and law enforcement from both agencies. Um, you're listening to Justice is Blonde. Hey 
Hey guys, this is Connor. This is Dick. This is Chris. And we're with the Ticket Stub Podcast every Thursday live at noon on 104.5 and 106.1 FM in the Conroe area. Also, anytime at IRLoneStar.com. You go to IRLoneStar.com backslash TTS. You can find all of our social media. And don't forget, we give away two tickets to the Grand Theater on every show. If you like movies and you like complaining or celebrating anything that has to do with the silver screen, check out the Ticket Stub Podcast and join us every Thursday at noon o'clock on Lone Star Community Radio. This is Andrea Kolsky, and you're listening to Justice is Blonde on Lone Star Community Radio. And today we're super excited to have uh, someone from the South come all the way to North Conroe, the fastest growing city in the country, Conroe, Texas. Woo woo. Nathan Mays, though, drove all the way up here, all the way up I-45. To bring his knowledge bombs up this way and educate the citizens of Montgomery County about life in the big leagues of of being a big time federal lawyer. So thanks for coming all the uh, way up here. My pleasure to be here, Andrea. So not only is Nathan an amazing lawyer, if you ever find yourself a defendant in a large indictment or a small indictment federally, but I Nathan, Nathan is also a longtime uh, friend of mine and someone I respect greatly. So oh, very you, much appreciate. I appreciate it. You So uh, before the break, we were talking about the Super Bowl and some issues, you know, regarding the First Amendment and where to bet or not bet. But we're, we're changing gears a little bit here now to talk about something that happened both here locally and in your neck of the woods. Yeah. Um, South Conroe, Houston. Mm-hmm. There was a, a young man, Ulysses, Ulysses Valladares, OK, basically seemingly at home. Um, minding right. his own business with his 12-year-old son, um, maybe playing Xbox because uh, yeah, an Xbox out. was taken, hanging out, um, and and knock at the door and things went terribly wrong, right? Yeah, I'm sure incredibly unexpected for uh, Mr. Valladares in, uh, you know, be kidnapped. Uh, in front of his 12-year-old. In front of his 12-year-old. The 12-year-old, I want to say, was duct taped uh, and left there and told not to call the police. Otherwise, uh, his father would be killed. Uh, And then to eventually be the victim of a uh, police shooting by mistake from the FBI. I mean, what a nightmare for this guy's whole family. So, I mean, I can't imagine a worse feeling as a law enforcement officer that you could have injured the very person that you were there to protect. I mean, it's just there's not a worst thing that could possibly happen as a as a law enforcement yeah. um, officer or anybody, in my opinion, that just, you you know, you're trying to do the right thing. And then, you know, the absolute very wrong thing right. happens. Yeah. The person um, that you're the person that, you know, if you've got 20 law enforcement guys. They're all out there from all different branches and parts of uh, law enforcement, from sheriff's department, Houston Police Department, FBI, and they're all working together. And the person they're there to save is the one person who ends up getting hurt and killed. I mean, so it's unbelievably tragic to the Valladares family. But, you know, just as far as how this plays out. So he's kidnapped in Conroe. Um, You know, they transport him to Houston and he's at the Best Western in Houston. So just from a a prosecution or, or defense standpoint, you know, essentially you're in a situation where this case can be prosecuted in Montgomery County. Or in Houston. And, or, or in federal court. Or in federal a, court. Because it's a kidnapping. Because it's a kidnapping. So, um, 
interest. So basically, it's our understanding that there's three folks involved. So there's a Jimmy Tony Sanchez, and this gentleman has some face tattoos, and we can talk about, you know, we'll talk about what that can mean. Um, there's another right. gentleman named Nicholas Chase Cunningham, and then there's a female named Sophia Heath. Okay, so these three individuals we know as of today's date are all charged. They're currently incarcerated. Um, but held, held with no bond. Held with no bond. I understand that Mrs. Heath or Miss Heath has a million-dollar bond, okay? Mm. So, you know, we can talk about kind of what some of those things mean, but— but each of these folks are obviously, you know, they play some role. Otherwise, they wouldn't be charged. Right. So. And, and who knows, you know, I mean, I, from what I read in the newspapers and online, um, there may be some kind of uh, distant connection between the victim and the. Um, the um, somebody's alleged, wife or something. Yes, somebody's like cousin's wife or something like that. And so, you know, you know, from years of experience in, in handling criminal cases, um, something that's this confusing and messy at the beginning, there's a story behind it that's going to come out, right? Right. There's going to be more that is illuminated. Um, and there's going to be more connections, and there's going to be more little odd pieces of how did they select this guy as their victim, and why did they think he'd be able to pay a ransom? Yeah, and that's what's interesting. So, um, you know, in this case, there was a ransom call. Mm -hmm. So they had uh, called... I guess his uncle, the 12-year-old's uncle, who is now, my understanding, has custody of this 12 -year young 12-year-old. And even more tragically, as a complete side note, I guess his mother died tragically also in the last couple of years because she died of cancer. So now you have this 12-year-old. It's like he's just gone through all these terrible things in a short period of time. Horrible. But you get this ransom call. They call the uncle, say, you know, we want $20,000 is my understanding of, of what the ransom call was. And then my understanding also is that they uh, appeared or alluded to being affiliated with the Gulf cartel. And so I had asked you about, like, you know, you do a lot of big-time federal cases, so you know about a lot of the, the big Mexican yeah. cartels and Yeah, when and I gangs. read this, uh, when I read that in the original news report that I saw, you know, it kind of made me— um, it kind of made me laugh a little bit just because, you know, if, if it was 2000— uh, if it was the late 90s, 2000, 2005, and you said Gulf Cartel, um, that was a real thing. Right. That's a real thing back then, right? I mean, the Gulf Cartel was one of the most dominant criminal organizations in Mexico, uh, trafficked, you know, unknown quantities of marijuana, cocaine, uh, methamphetamine, and other drugs into the United States and took hundreds of millions of dollars out of the United States as a result of their drug trafficking activity. But, but the Gulf cartel really um, started breaking down after um, the arrest and prosecution of the leader of the Gulf cartel, who back in the late 90s, early 2000s, was a guy named OCL Cardenas Guillen, who was actually prosecuted here in Houston um, and was sentenced to, uh, I want to say, 20 or 25 years um, on a federal count. Uh, probably back maybe 2012 uh, and is now at like a supermax in Colorado doing his time. But once he got uh, arrested and, and sentenced and, and it took seven years to get him extradited from Mexico to the U S right. And they're going to fight like with everything they have to not come back to the U S facilities because yeah, it literally took seven years in. Um, but after that, the Gulf cartel really started shrinking and splintering and breaking off into different groups and, 
you know, they had a, an enforcement wing that was uh, called the Zetas, and the Zetas for a while got real big, and then they kind of got squashed when all their leadership got killed um, because the Mexican National Armed Forces, specifically their Navy, um, really started targeting kind of high-level cartel members and not so much to arrest them. Right. Uh, to started killing them. To stop the problem. Yeah, they just started killing them. And so the Gulf Cartel now, I mean, I guess there may be like little pieces of it left. Um, that still exist, but but as something that um, would would be take, part of this would sloppy, take, yeah, sloppy kidnapping and take credit for it and say we're with the Gulf Cartel, right? No way. So it just basically, um, you know, the the way the threat or how it it played out is is unlikely how it yeah. It, Th- this this looks more like to me like the work of some local. Uh, people who were desperate for some money and, and thought they knew a place they could get it. And and you never know. I mean, there may, may be some kind of debt. I, mean, I know there's an allegation. Um, from yeah, there was an the, allegation that I, that um, at least was said to the 12-year-old that— Someone that owed some money. Somebody owed somebody $8,000. Yeah. Um, and so um, certainly that's a pretty uh, unfortunate way to collect it. You certainly, you know, if you, to throw them in the— throw them in the back of the car and duct tape tape him and bring him to the Best Western. Nobody's getting paid now. Right. And so... No one's getting paid. So to talking about these three suspects that that are in custody, um, you and I had visited... Okay, so so right now, uh, Jimmy Tony Sanchez, according to the district clerk's website, is charged with aggravated robbery, aggravated kidnapping, and then the other two individuals are both charged with aggravated kidnapping. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they allege that there's a firearm use. Interestingly enough, they have sealed the complaint and information, at least as it relates to Jimmy Tony Sanchez. Have you ever seen them seal a state complaint or information? And that's just the charging instruments. Have you seen that happen? Um, not in state court. I haven't seen it where I haven't it's seen sealed it either. In, in state court. Uh, it's very unusual. And it, it makes you wonder if there's some information in there about other individuals uh, who may not have been arrested yet um, or who they may still be investigating and they don't want to, the law enforcement doesn't want to tip those people off that, that that investigation is going on. So um, right now we have to take a break to hear from our sponsors and sure. we're kind of leaving everybody on the edge of our seats about, you know, this young man, Ulysses Valladares, that was kidnapped, shot by the FBI, and there's definitely more to the story, and you don't want to miss it with the last section of Justice is Blonde on Lone Star Community Radio. For those of you who like your partners, your gumbo, and your music salty, well, we're here to help with the music. Julian Shea here, host of Lone Star Country Nights Thursday, your weekly dose of roots and Americana and all the music that makes this part of the country special. We stir in western swing, honky-tonk, zydeco, Texas blues, outlaw country, and put a pinch of red dirt, and then we smoke it over a slow fire. Then listen to the results Thursday nights on Conroe's 104.5 and 106.1 and worldwide at IRLoneStar.com. This is Andrea Kolsky, and you're listening to Justice is Blonde on Lone Star Community Radio. And if you're just joining us, well, you've missed a great show so far. And we're joined by very special guest, uh, Nathan Mays. He primarily practices federal criminal defense, and he does an amazing job. Um, So if you need him, uh, you're in an unfortunate situation. But definitely, he's someone you should call very talented uh, and, and does a great job. So... 
we were talking before the break about this really unfortunate, terrible, tragic shooting involving Ulysses Valladares, a young man who was kidnapped in his own home in front of his 12-year-old and accidentally shot by by the FBI. So, um, you know, the three folks that were involved, one of the folks who seems to be in the most trouble because he has the most criminal charges at this point, his name is Jimmy Tony Sanchez. So, you know, you and I were talking about is he golf cartel? Because there was some allegation that there is, you know, some kind of cartel connection. And, and before the break, you were saying probably unlikely because the golf cartel is not really a big thing anymore. But I did mention to you that he has this star tattoo on his face with a giant H in the middle. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, does that mean he's a super Astros fan, you yeah. know, or is there <laughs> something else it could be? Right. It, people are really fired up about the Astros. I mean, maybe maybe it was a celebrate celebratory act, you know, after the World Series win. But you know, he looking at it and the other tattoos that he has on his face, I think probably, um, you know, law enforcement tend to look at tattoos as a way of being able to identify gang members, uh, and a lot of times, certain tattoos are associated with certain criminal gangs or criminal enterprises, uh, particularly prison gangs and street gangs. And the H like that, like any any kind of H with a star or an Astro star uh, or an Astro star with an H in it are a lot of times associated by law enforcement with a gang called Houston. Uh, Houston is a, is a Houston-based um, criminal street gang, I think is what federal prosecutors would say. And I, I don't know if they've brought a, um, if they've brought a case against Houston yet. I'm sure they've brought one against pieces of it. Um, and, and this tattoo, just from my experience in representing a whole bunch of guys who've had face tattoos and a whole bunch of guys charged in federal court and right. drug conspiracies who had face tattoos, they're going to say that this guy probably is a Houston member. That's what law enforcement right. say based on that. And they're going to be like, oh, he's probably Tango Blast, which is another, uh, you know, prison gang. And so the thing is, is when you're when you commit a crime and you're affiliated with a gang or they can show that there's some kind of gang connection, at least from a state level, that you can have enhanced punishment, right? Uh, yeah, yes, absolutely. And then likewise, um, in your situation as a federal prosecutor, uh, not you're not a federal prosecutor, as a federal defense attorney, um, you know, you show gang affiliation. Can you have uh, sentencing departures where you get more time? Um, what you can get if you're considered a gang member, it's not so much that you get an enhancement under the United States sentencing guidelines, but you will be treated very differently inside the Federal Bureau of Prisons uh, if they think you're affiliated with a gang. And um, people who are known gang members, documented gang members, alleged gang members, they're going to be um, segmented away from or segregated away from their uh, rival gang members. They're usually going to be in a higher security classification. So if they're sent to Bureau of Prisons, say they got to go do some time in the Bureau of Prisons, they might, instead of going to a low type of facility or a camp type of facility, they'll go to a medium or even a high, which, believe me, big uh, difference. There's a monumental difference between being classified for a medium and a low inside the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And um, so you, you may not get necessarily. Martha Stewart's in low. Yeah, Martha Stewart was in. Houston uh, gang camp. members, Supermax, for yeah, example. Yeah, or, or high. And <laughs> right. In, you may not get more time. Right. But the difference between being in a camp where you're really in federal, in the federal system, if you're in a camp, you're staying in a barracks, almost like a military barracks. It's kind of like condos. 
there's no wall around that facility. You can wake up in the morning, go outside, shoot basketball, uh, go, go to the for library. A jog. Yeah, go to the library, read, go work, doing whatever job you have inside the prison at the kitchen or on the grounds crew or whatever. And then you go back at the end of the day and, and hang out. And that's a very different lifestyle than what somebody who's in a medium has where they have like a half an hour of sunshine a day and a tiny little window that's four inches wide that they make hand signals out of to their family members. Right. You know, I mean, there's, there's difference between the kind of time you do, not so much the right. amount of time. Right, the kind of time, how your time is classified. So I think as parents... Face tattoo is um, always yes, a bad say idea. say no to the face tattoo. As face defense tat attorneys, stay away from the face tattoo. Easier to identify you with the face yeah, tattoo. Yeah, I mean, it was the guy with the big star on his face. Oh, wow. Right. That narrows it down. Um, and we've certainly seen some creative ones oh, over I, the years. I have a client that uh, he had a Hello Kitty tattoo on his face. He had a Louis Vuitton symbol tattooed on his face. Uh, he also had a big star I mean, we've certainly seen the the profanity faces. Yes, yes, you know, the eyelids when they close their eyes and right. it says something clever. Um, and just, I mean, I once had a uh, somebody that I prosecuted that had a naked lady um, where her privacy parts were um, displayed over his head as she went back. It was, you know, if, if you're on a, asking a jury to punish you with, you gotta you gotta dance with the face you brought, and it's <laughs> it may not be the face you want punished. That's exactly right. Um, but. We uh, we don't want to fail to acknowledge the FBI in, in this tragic shooting and, and make light of the situation. I mean, no, Nathan, uh, you know, uh, these guys are doing their best and no evidence it was intentional and not no, even a suggestion. And, and, you know, the the real hard part for the FBI in this, I was talking with a friend of mine because I've represented so many people in federal court. Um, I have personal friendships with a lot of agents, FBI agents, ICE agents, um, DEA agents, <laughs> obviously you. Um and he was saying, you know, it's really, it's really hard on the guy who was involved because now he is suspended while they conduct a um, investigation. And, and the number of different agencies that are going to investigate this is going to make it take months because you're going to have not only the FBI do their internal investigation, I'm sure um, Montgomery County is going to have some kind of investigation into it. The Department of Justice from Washington, D.C. likely will investigate it because it's part of a law enforcement action by a federal officer. You know, and this poor guy who we hope that it, it's simply a matter that he made a terrible mistake, but he's the subject Followed now. protocol. Yeah, you he's, know. he's the subject now of all of this investigation, and um, that's a lot for a person to deal with, and I'm sure he likely feels Oh, he, I'm sure he feels terrible. About and what happened. And our hearts, no doubt, go out to both the Valladares family um, as well as this 12-year-old boy who I wish nothing but a wonderful life. I mean, he absolutely deserves to have the best life ever. And then, of course, our hearts also go out to the law enforcement community that, you know, did the one thing that they, they set out in right. life not to do. Right. And, and, you know, it's the show, unfortunately, is over before we knew it, and, and we do need to— Say goodbye. Um, it's been a pleasure being here it's today. It's been great with you. having you, and we hope you come back sometime on a new edition or next edition of Justice is Blonde on Lone Star Community Radio. Thank you. Thank you for checking out this production of Lone Star Community Radio. 
Lone Star Community Radio is Montgomery County's community radio station. Don't forget to check out this show and many others across the Lone Star Community Radio Network, either live on Conroe's FM 104.5, 106.1, the Lone Star Internet Radio app, or IRLoneStar.com's live audio stream, and on replay on podcast, Channel 12's Our City TV in Conroe, or Channel 21 KVQT in Houston, and of course, their YouTube channel. This production is copyrighted and all rights are reserved by Lone Star Community Radio. Have a question regarding this program or other Lone Star Community Radio shows? Want to sponsor or start your own show? Call the station message line at 936-647-3776 or email the station at lscrstudios at gmail.com.